Hi, I'm Harry. And I'm Simon. Together we sell all sorts of antiques and collectibles from our two auction houses in Windsor and in Devon. But where do the items come from? Join us as we chat about house clearances, our weird and wonderful finds. And interview others in the antiques and auction trade. And if we're honest, just about any other topic that happens to come to mind. Welcome back to The Gavel and the Gavel. I am joined by, and thank God he's back. Because we missed him last week, I'm joined by my friend and colleague. Am I still part of this? Am I still part of the podcast? Because obviously I was ousted last week. <laughs> I was pushed to the side. I was substituted. I was sent off. I was banished from the podcast. It's been a painful week, Harry, because it hurts. It, it hurts. Deep down, it hurts. Well, actually, when what? you and producer David, when you and producer David go rogue and cut me out, it hurts. It's Simon here from Devon. How are you, Harry? <laughs> what actually happened was you were really busy doing auctions with me and I had a spare 10 minutes to oh, record a couple of lines. You That's say that. You say that. The first I hear about it, I've been sidelined. I've been booted off the pitch. But I'm fine. I don't hold a grudge, Harry. So we're all right. We can do this podcast now because I don't hold a grudge because I'm a mature adult man. Other than that... How was your week, Simon? It says on my script. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been, well, it's been busy, mate, hasn't it? Oh, my goodness. Um, hasn't it? Two days of auctioneering in Windsor, uh, a day on the rostrum in Lime Bay. But you know what? It's been cracking, hasn't it? It's been really, I'm knackered, if I'm honest. I'm knackered. But, and I'm sure you are as well. But it's been good, hasn't it? It's been it's very, been good. very I'm good. I'm very successful. But what um, I think our three days were summed up by a lady in Lime Regis who about 300 lots in just looked at us both, cut across the auction and went, you two have spent far too much time together this week, haven't you? <laughs> Was <laughs> yeah, and I, I just was went, get, mm. yeah, lot three eleven, right off yeah. we go. <laughs> off we go. Mm. Yes, we did get told off a little bit by the audience. Uh, that's the that's the, the thing. Who who is this audience? Oh, I audience, love it. audience. It. It's your audience. It's our audience. Yeah, I may have picked that up a bit much. But how was it? How was your week, Harry? I was with you, mate. So it was. Fine. I know exactly. It was so it's it pretty, pretty much really the nice. same. Really nice. We had a very popular, um, a very busy weekend. Uh, auctioneering in both venues. Um, I think that we've recorded some snippets for a forthcoming pod. Yes. Because we had a few interesting and special lots that we talked about. So they'll be coming up. But today we're back in the land of interviewing and... I'm excited about this. Oh, I mean, so you should be, mate. This bloke, he does it all. He does it all. He's all over the shop. But we're going to let him talk about that. Who are we talking to today? We are talking to BBC's art and antiques presenter, the magnificent Mr. David Harper. Welcome back to The Gavel and The Gavel. And I am delighted that we have been joined by antiques expert, TV star, author, artist, YouTuber, I mean, the it, the list is endless. Um, he's famous and he has been doing TV since about 2005. He started Antiques Expert, the movement on TV. It is none other than David Harper. Hello, David. Oh, Harry and Simon. Great to be here with you boys. Oh, David, we're delighted to have you on today. I mean, you are literally a household name these days. So it's fantastic to get you on the gavel and the gabble. So where do we start today? How about, David, uh, could you give us 
a bit of an introduction. I mean, we know you from the TV. We know you from Flog It and Road Trip and Bargain Hunt and your YouTube channels. But tell us a bit about how you got started in this wonderful game of antiques and, and a bit of background on yourself, if you would. Simon, I've got to take you back to the age of five. We're going back in time here. So it was history, history. I loved objects that were connected to people long gone. So, you know, relatives would give me a coin or a shard of pottery. And it just used to blow my mind handling it, holding it, imagining traveling back in time. And even now, today, the same thing happens. When I hold a fresh, new, ancient object, I can look at it, weigh it, even smell it examine it, close my eyes and touch it, and I can feel that I'm travelling back in time, connecting to real, long-gone, long-forgotten people. So it was that, the history side. And then as I was growing up, objects came into my life. My parents always had antiques. And then from the age of 18, I, I discovered that I could satisfy this burning desire to learn about objects and history and people and stories by buying and selling antiques and make a bit of money as I do it. How's that? <laughs> That's, that, that is absolutely fantastic. And are you saying that from the age of 18, this passion was burned into you so that you went straight into trading, buying and selling? Oh, completely. This and classic cars, same thing. So, you know, I was surrounded as a kid with antiques, artworks, uh, classic cars coming and going. My dad always had cars, still does. My brothers do. So yeah, classic cars, objects, anything old and grotty. That's what I like. <laughs> Brilliant. So take us all the way back there to 18-year-old David. And, you know, you've, you've got this history within the family, but you've got to start somewhere. Where do you start? How do you start making your first rent check, your first paycheck? Simple, cars. They're the easiest things to get into and start buying and selling. And even today, in fact, I even, I even tried to buy a car on eBay today, an old 20-year-old Mercedes Cooper. I can't help myself. So it was classic cars. And then, of course, at the age of 19, I was financed up to the hilt with a new Porsche. I was a yuppie with no money, but I just had enough barely to pay the payments. So I was looking the business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. And then, so you start building the business from that point on. And and where comes because we all have we all have one secretly in the history in the archives where was the lucky break where you thought you know what this is a great opportunity or this is a great deal that i've just pulled off this is it are you meaning the media tv world well, I mean, you could go straight into that because I've tried several times. I think Simon always likes to know about the deal, the one item that, it, cause, frankly, because he's still searching for it, as am I, the one thing that <laughs> makes that, it, it, it's not necessarily the money, but literally changes your perception of the antiques industry. Most people we talk to go, do you know what? I found that and that's the thing that nailed it for me and I sold it for this and I bought it for 10p and it bought that Porsche or it paid for this. Do you know, Harry, it is all about the money at the end of the day, isn't it? Because you can have these passions that we all do, but if you don't make money out of them, then they're just silly little hobbies. I turned my little hobby into a business. And so I've had so many good finds. I can't really think of one in particular. I mean, I've had, I found a little miniature painting by Joseph Farrington, who was a famous landscape. No, sorry, it wasn't. It was 
his wife. That's right. By it was a miniature by Henry Bone of Joseph Farrington's wife. A guy walked into the shop. He'd been to Christie's in London. Christie's had said it was a fake. I took a chance. I paid 300 quid. It was worth 7,000 pounds. So we've had lots of little hits like that. But you, but I, I'm a wheeler dealer. So I love, particularly when I had shops, buying and selling. I couldn't stand waiting around. So I, I have bought and sold hundreds of thousands of items. And, and so it was just an accumulation of sales and money. I, I took stuff to America, I took a container to America, sold it there, bought a, a container of American things, brought that back. I was involved with a, a new furniture company. I was only 23, but my accountant put me in, in touch with a, a, a Thailand company who wanted an antiques expert to help them design a range of new reproduction, colonial-style furniture. So I was off to Thailand, and I literally bought containers full of reproduction, colonial, rubberwood furniture and sold them in the UK. So it's all about the money. You've got to have the money. You've got to be able to make money to be able to satisfy the passion. And the passion truly is history, objects, and classic cars. And classic, classic cars. cars. It keeps going back to those classic cars. So touching on your um, TV career, because as I alluded to, it's a, I want to say it's about 2005 that you got your, I, I don't mean this, your break, because they need you as much as you need them, so to speak. They need the characters. They need the passionate people. And not everybody is passionate in this job. That's the bottom line. And you are one of, you're, you're a guy who's out there, like you've just displayed in our couple of minutes chat you're passionate about what you do so it's about 2005 and am i right in saying that also you won the first ever series we interviewed paul laidlaw a little while back and we were talking about him having the record for the highest um item um and i'm sure that's um greats with some other people but you won the first ever series is that, that right i or the did. first is that right oh there you go thank god for wikipedia <laughs> I, I don't mind admitting it. it was it was more luck than skill right so this is about 10 or 12 years ago and as we probably know it was about then that the chinese market just exploded i didn't know at the time although chinese oriental pieces were part of one of my many passions and so i bought this 300 quids worth of late 19th century Chinese, very heavily carved bookcase, which I described as being made Hong Kong, 1890, for, for Brits abroad, you know, in the empire, it was like that kind of thing. It wasn't generally the kind of thing that the Chinese buyers that I knew at the time were buying. They want the more refined stuff. Anyway, I paid 300 quid, went into Christie's, sells for just over £2,000. And there wasn't anyone more surprised than me. <laughs> you know, Tim Warnercott, we were looking at each other thinking, sorry, is that, was that my object? <laughs> and it was at that moment that we discovered that the Chinese were coming into the market and throwing money at anything and everything that even looked a bit Chinese. So it was a bit of a, a stroke of luck. I, th I think we should. I think we should say that was down to your skill, David. Let's go with that, shall we, mate? I'll pick you up, even if you won't. <laughs> you saw a trend coming, Harry. I wish. Do you know what? Yeah, edit that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's no problem. It's all right. I'm head of PR. <laughs> and I tell you what, so David, I mean, you obviously love the TV work, right? You, you, you love doing that. But uh, in, and Flog It, Bargain Hunt, the road trip, we've had the road tripper, 
Windsor auctions and Lime Bay auctions. It's always, and we've not been blessed with your presence yet. But what is it you enjoy so much about the TV work? I, I think I love TV that is immediate. So I have done studio shows and I always thought I wanted to do a studio show. And I did a studio show. And it was quite interesting and it was quite good, but it was all very set up. I was kind of waiting around a lot. I had to read a script effectively to do, to explain something, describe something, but I had to get it verbatim as they'd written it down for all sorts of legal reasons. And I didn't enjoy it. I like going out into a middle of a field at an antiques fair and somebody showing me something and saying, when there's a camera in my face and they're recording me, what is that? And I like to react in that moment. And if I don't know exactly what it is, I get a bit of a thrill by twisting and turning and getting the topic of conversation onto something I do know about. <laughs> get away with that for 20 years. <laughs> That's brilliant. And you do, you know, uh, I'm sorry to you're not blowing smoke. You do come across absolutely brilliantly on these TV shows. You are incredibly watchable and the passion comes, you know, really comes across. Is there, Have you got any good anecdotes from being on these um, shows? You know, any good stories you can share with our listener? Um, you know, the high points of being on these shows for you? I, I think one of my favourite shows to do, and it's, it's bizarrely, ironically, it's the most difficult show to do is the celebrity version of Antiques Road Trip. Okay. I won't mention any names, but a lot of my colleagues on screeners don't particularly like the celebrity road trips because they are rock hard work. You're having to deal with a celebrity and buy antiques, try and make some money, interview them and all of that. But I love the interviewing of them because I think like you guys, I'm fascinated in people. People always have great stories to tell. So I love being put into a car with a celebrity, somebody that I know from the big screen, the little screen, a rock star, a comedian. I know them from afar. And suddenly, I'm in a little car, a little Triumph Herald or something. <laughs> We're driving down the street and I'm interviewing them. And I just get such a thrill out of that. And I must say, I learn from every single celebrity because the funny thing with the, these celebrities that you meet, first and foremost, as you know, interviewing people, knowing people, the common denominator is they are just ordinary people. There's nothing extraordinary about them. And they often will say when others meet them, they're generally disappointed because they're not <laughs> that extraordinary. They're just normal. And it's nice to talk to a normal person who has loads of really interesting stories to tell. So, And, and another thing that, that, that I learned from every single celebrity, and, and I've monitored this over 10 years of working with them, and it doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what religion, what colour, what gender they are, whether they've known one another, met one another or not, you could describe them as all coming from the same tribe because they all have this kind of positivity and they never dwell on the past. They never say, I used to be a rock star, now I'm retired and I was a, 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 a big name once. They're not. They're always talking about the next project and the next project could literally be designing their garden. They've always got something exciting to do. So they're always passionate about something. And it's not necessarily a big something. They get up at, on the morning and they look forward to doing something new. So yeah, they, they all come from the same tribe. It's bizarre. Very interesting to study. That's a fabulous observation. That's an absolutely fabulous observation. And I'll throw that back at you, David, because 
the list is endless. I mean, we've got published writer. We'll talk about that in a minute. We've got artist. We've got sculptor. Haven't quite so much got chef yet, have we? <laughs> no, I think that's an area I'm just going to just keep away from. You see, <laughs> tell us, tell our listener about that, David. Come on, you've got to. Before we get on to ha- what a wonderful writer, sculptor, artist. I reckon David needed wanted to buy an extra car, and there was a half decent fee involved in that. I think that's <laughs> what. I think I don't mean to be rude, but I'm pretty sure that must have had something to do with it. Well, Harry, the story is over because you nailed it. <laughs> Tell us quickly about your experience on MasterChef before we get to bigging you up about the artist and the books and all the rest of it. Let's come on. Okay. Generally in life, I have a rule of saying yes to everything, right? So thank God. I've I've always believed if they yes, stuff happens. It's too easy to say no. So first got into TV, I got my route in was radio. So a radio station rang me, do you want to be on the radio live tomorrow? My instinct was no, I, I couldn't bear the idea of it. I'd be petrified. But I just said yes. And so from that, I, even though I was terribly nervous and I couldn't, I didn't sleep a week, from that, I get into TV several years later. But in TV, you do get calls. You know, you get calls from celebrity shows and they say, would you like to be on? And my default is yes. So I had Strictly Come Dancing. They rang me. They said, David, do you want to be on the show? I said, yes. They rang me back. They said no. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yes. What happens? Because they say, do you want to be on this? Honestly, I know from experience, you say yes. And then they go away and they muck around. They find somebody better that you don't hear from them. Don't. You're going to break Simon's heart. He's had this experience recently. Oh, really? The media world is ruthless. It is run by mercenaries, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're making me feel a lot better about my failed attempts to get into media, David. So (laughs) I, I should be paying for this level of therapy. I think you'll find. Honestly, Simon, I could give you so much therapy. David, I had to start this uh, podcast just to look after his ego because he'd got a rejection from a TV show. That's the only reason why we're doing this. I did a, I did an entire pilot uh, with, with, uh, and they would say, you're down to the last two, you're a shoo-in. Um, I had to drive around the Devon countryside with a camera pointing at me and a guy in the back with a boom. And a, I thought I'd made it, David, nothing. I can't believe it. <laughs> But, but don't beat yourself up because it happens all of the time. For every one success you see on... It's because I wasn't there, David. That's the problem. That's what it was. They didn't have the two of us. <laughs> it is a two-man show. We, we did an auction on Monday. Harry, you haven't heard this. Harry and I oh. sit on the rostrum together. We auction here together at Windsor and at Lime Bay. Um, somebody phoned up for their jewellery purchases yesterday, spoke to Joanne, and said, could you just tell the auctioneers we thoroughly enjoyed listening to them? They reminded me of Morecambe and Wise. Oh, oh, I've made it. I've made it. I, I, do you know what? The, the, there is no higher compliment than that. <laughs> if you can become the next Morecambe and Wise, wow, hello. It's not really the look we were going for, David. But yeah, I mean... It's going to have to be, it's gonna have to be a very big bed if I'm going to be in it with you, David. <laughs> Simon... <laughs> Um, now, um, I'm going to do, I, I've got to ask about the art. I've got yes. to ask about the art because I'm, I'm fascinated by this um, because you're obviously a, a, a big creative because you create in a wide variety of mediums. But your art is, it's very vibrant. And now that I've sort of spoken to you, we've chatting to you now, you can see you in it. Do, do you know what I mean? It, it's got you, it moves like you talk. 
Yeah, well, I, I think it does because I only paint when I'm when I'm in the mood, and I've got to be in a good place to paint. And I discovered painting about ten years ago in my mid mid forties. I'd always painted, I always loved creating. But I remember creating art at school, and you know how they, they say sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will hurt me ever. It's wrong. It's the other way around. I can cope with sticks and stones. Words do hurt. And I remember an art teacher looking at one of my pieces of work, and he threw it back at me, and he said, "Harper, no one in their right minds paints like you." So for years, for years, I just put away this idea of ever being a painter, an artist. That's, how, that's awful. Well, that, we've all got stories of horrible teachers, haven't we? Yeah, true, true. One of many that I, I, I've had. But anyway, in my mid-40s, I went through a classic midlife crisis. I'm, I think I'm at the tail end. I'm not sure. It might just reignite itself at any moment. And I went a bit mental. Well, I left my wife. I got an apartment. I was just thinking I was going to be yeah, living a great life. Anyway. I started dreaming that I was a painter and I, I couldn't get rid of these dreams. And in my dreams, as I was painting, I was deliriously happy. And after a few months, I bought some canvases and I thought, I'm just going to do it with my art teacher's voice. No one paints like you, you know, when their right mind paints like you, Harper, was ringing in my voice. I started painting. It didn't quite work. I, I left it for a month or two and I kept on dreaming. I thought, damn it, I'm going to do it again. I did it again and it just worked. My soul, I think, poured onto the canvas and I'd be painting for hours upon end, I would think it would be two hours, it would be eight hours. I'd get back from filming, I'd, I'd start painting. I created a huge art studio. And for about two years, in every spare moment I had, I painted. And so I built up this mass of paintings. And then an art dealer friend of mine, she saw my work and she said, I really like it. Shall we do an exhibition? This is about eight years ago. We did an exhibition and it sold. And now my art is literally all over the world, including in museums and big private collections. So it's a bizarre thing. But if anyone can take anything from this silly little story is don't let words hurt you. Don't let what somebody said to you when you were 12 years old affect you when you're 45 years old. You've got to get beyond it. And it, it was a great struggle for me in my first exhibition. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in work. So live TV, live radio, live chats with you guys, dead easy compared to walking into a gallery with 20 of your paintings on the wall, effectively your soul hanging on the wall, with lots of people critiquing them. That was the most difficult thing I ever did. But yeah, so it, 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 it's part now of what I do. That is difficult, isn't it? Having somebody look at your work on the wall. I've not experienced that. You know, I'm not, I'm quite happy being compared to Morecambe and Wise or somebody saying, oh, he's missed the point with that joke or whatever on the rostrum. But it that is everything. You've, you've put all that effort in. Yeah. And it, as you say, it's your soul. And then somebody walks past it and doesn't give it the time of day. And you're like, hang on a minute. <laughs> At least pause and give that the once over if you would. Yeah, it's a funny thing because you can talk about antiques and art on television. It's not your work. You can listen to someone being critical of it. But when it's your work, it's really hard because you know what's in it. And you know what you were doing work-wise, personal life-wise, how you were feeling when you created that work. So you know what's in it. It's not just paint and canvas. It's much more. That and when someone shuns it, it's really difficult. But yeah, you, as a, as an artist, you've got to get over that. And it's a shame because if there are any artists listening, good artists, and in, in truth, you don't have to be a good artist. You've just got to be different. You've got to have something a bit whatever that is. You know that that special thing. Most artists are petrified to show their work. 
And if anyone is a painter, a sculptor, an artist out there listening to this, then just please break through the barrier and show your work. You only need one, two percent of the people that look at your work to love it and literally buy into it. And you could probably make a living out of it. But most artists, great artists, are too afraid to do it. I find that a shame. It is a shame. And your story really is a, a beacon of light from that point of view, because I've read now, we did a bit of, we believe it or not, we do do a little bit of research, David. You won't believe it, I know. Um, but, you know, you've sold alongside Damien Hirst. Yeah. Your pictures are all around the world. You're in uh, car uh, galleries and and also, I mean, it's been a tremendous success. And I've looked at some of your paintings and seen some of your paintings online. They are tremendous. They are full of life. I mean, I think they're absolutely superb. And to hear the story of how tricky that is to put everything down on canvas at that stage in your life and still run with it, but now look at the success you've gleaned. That's a fabulous story. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing, but I even have to deal with it at home because my, I've got a painting that I created in the hallway. It's about six foot tall and I know what's in it. And it represents me, my wife and my daughter. My wife hates it so much she puts a doily over its face. <laughs> so we've got guests coming tomorrow night. You've got to remove the black doily. <laughs> I painted it. It's not a horrible thing. It's meant to be nice. She says, I can't stand it. It follows me all around the room. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worse critic than uh, family, surely. Yeah, Simon and, I, Simon and I both work with our wives, so I can tell you we get a lot worse than a black doily put over something. I tell you, we're in all sorts of trouble. Now, the writing. Yes. So you've you've put paint on canvas. You're doing all that. And then suddenly you get hit by the writing bug or how how does that evolve? Well, that kind of happened by, by accident. I mean, for 20 odd years, I've been writing antiques articles. So, you know, when I got into, into radio and then early days of TV, magazines would get in touch. Will you write an article? Sometimes for free. Sometimes you get 100 quid or whatever. It's just it's just you know, it gets your name out there. There's no big money. Mm. But I, I, I've always done that. And then I started doing one man shows. Talking about, you know, life in TV, meeting funny celebrities, just real stories, funny stories, nothing academic at all, just funny things that have happened on the road. And actually it worked. And so it was it was une- called David Harper's Unexpected Tales. That worked. And then I thought, I want to I want to create a stand-up history show. Just tell funny stories from history, stories that we weren't told at school. Stories that I've collected over the years. So I just started putting them down and writing a 90-minute theatre show. But it turned into a book. So that uh, I called it A Romp with the Georgians. So looking at that period, 1714 to 1830, telling wild and wacky true stories, but quite unbelievable, about British people living during that Georgian period. But I wrote so much, I thought, well, I might as well create a book and flog the book at the theatre show. So I did that, and the book sold well. I self-published that one, and that sold well over the last three years or so. And then I put the idea to a publisher, and I said, I'd like to continue from 1830 and, and now look at the real height of the British Empire, the, the 19th, late 19th and into the early part of the 20th century. And then I got commissioned by a publisher to write this, a bash with the British Empire, and that's been out now for about two weeks. Published. I was about to say that's the one. Uh, I I saw that one of the uh, one of your auctioneer chums had put it on their social media to say he'd got an advanced copy. 
and he was thoroughly enjoying it. And are you going to tour that show as well? I am, yeah. So I, I still tour this one, A Romp with the Georgians. Yeah. Two after dinner, speaking, theatre shows, private groups, U3As, you know, you know the kind of thing. So mm. in my armoury, I have like funny stories from TV, funny stories from the Georgian British period, and now even funnier stories from the British Empire period. So there you go. Yeah, keeps me busy, chaps. Well, I was, about to, I was about to say, when do you find the time? I feel like a bit of a slouch, if I'm honest, David. Yeah, uh, really do. This is, um, I mean, is there anything you're not doing? That's the next question, really, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm renovating the house I'm in right now, so I'm enjoying that. So when I'm not working, I love, like, I'm very good at, like, knocking things down, pulling trees. I'm not very good at building things, but I'm very good at pulling them down. So I've been knocking walls, pulling floors up and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think there's lots of time in the day people can either lay out on the sofa and watch tv for eight hours or they can go and do something else so i generally do something else <laughs> that's absolutely i can only imagine you're doing this building work at like 2 a.m having just written the latest chapter of a book well unfortunately you're probably right i i, I i'm paranoid about not getting enough sleep and i average about five and a half to six hours sleep my, and my wife does about eight so she sort of like catches up for me i think <laughs> The real imbalance between us, on average, we get enough sleep, but she just gets an awful lot more. So <laughs> I learn to sleep, but I wake up in the morning excited, generally. I think there's something else to do. There's, there's, there's something on the go. So I wake up and I'm out. OK, just quickly, just because I know we're going to get asked this question. A bash with the British Empire, is it available in the, all the usual places? Yes. Is it Amazon, that sort of stuff? I, I mean, local bookshops and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Waterstones, Amazon, uh, Amazon mainly, and the uh, the publishers as well, Olympia publishers too, that they, they stock it. Yeah, I know that's going to come up. Producer David won't cut that bit out because um, loads of people will ask and uh, I think uh, I think hopefully we'll up the sales, eh, Simon? That's what we're here for, their promo. And uh, hang on, as if that wasn't enough, uh, there's a YouTube channel. Yes. Getting things right. Getting it right, Simon. Getting it right. You're never going to get on well, the I've, quiz show I've, if you don't know the name, mate. I've, alre I've already got it wrong. So <laughs> I need to look at YouTube getting it right. Well, you do. Just look at my YouTube channel, which is David Harper Antiques and History. So I have little history things and I feature antiques auctioneers I work with, antique centres. I go and do tours of antique centres talking about objects. But yeah, I devised a YouTube antiques game show called Getting It Right. And it's if you look at it, it's they range between 26 minutes and 30 minutes per show. That's it. That's how long it took to film it. There is no editing. It's absolutely shot live. Nobody gets a look at the antiques. It's funny engaged with engaging with the audience it's just a lark so we love doing that and i love experimenting with youtube in fact i love youtube more than say working for the bbc because when you work for the bbc it's great fun on the day you, you do your work but it's months before anything happens youtube if i have an idea now i can film something and have it up on youtube in half an hour and so it's very interesting. If I see something at an antique centre, I can film it, interview someone and get it up instantaneously. So that, that, that immediacy with YouTube is so exciting. It's very hard to crack YouTube. I've been working on it now for two years and a bit. You know, 5,000 subscribers, which is nothing. You need 100,000 to make money out of it. So it's not making me any money, 
but I am absolutely loving it. I really do. And all I need, all I need, chaps, is a breakthrough <laughs> video. Well, do you know what, David? Don't take this the wrong way. You taught me how to hang a painting with a fork. Yes, you saved my bacon. Uh, well, I, I have I, a fork on my desk in my office because of you. Good man. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what. If, um, so there's a very good reason to go to the, your YouTube channel, Getting It Right. I mean, first and foremost, anybody that's listening to this, this is a man that sold Alex Ferguson, ex-manager of Manchester United, Alex Ferguson. I did. You sold Alex Ferguson. Not just sold Alex Ferguson for a record price, a world record, a world. Pardon me. <laughs> tell us, tell us about that. Well, you know, because being on TV, you get offered lots of different gigs, and as you know, I say yes to everything, especially when there's a big fee, it's a cracking fee. I got this call. <laughs> now you have my attention. Yeah, Simon's suddenly woken up. <laughs> So I get the call, will you come to London and sell three things for this big charity in front of 300 city bankers at the Natural History Museum? Oh, wow. They tell me what the fee was. I almost choked. I went and I pretended that it was like, you know, usual for me. And I just said, <laughs> yes, in a very high voice. <laughs> so all I do is sell three things. But of course, because I don't prepare for anything, I genuinely I don't like preparing for anything at all. I do put no, no unlike you two, I put no research in at all. So I jump on a train, I'm going to the Natural History Museum, I get off the train, my brain just goes a bit mental, and I say to the taxi driver, can you take me to the British Museum? Not thinking I'd got the wrong museum. I get out at the British Museum, all the lights are off at the British Museum. There's a security man, I introduce myself, David Harper, I'm here to do the auction at the event tonight, and he said, there's no event on tonight, sir. I said, well, there is, because I'm booked. He said, no one in. I said, there must be someone in. Could you give that someone a call? He said, I will. He rang them. He said, we've got David Harper at the gate. I spoke to him. It's David Harper from Bargain Hunt. They'd never heard of Bargain Hunt. There was no event on. I thought there's something going on. So I said, I'll ring my contact. I rang my contact called Bill. I said, Bill, I'm outside the museum. They won't let me in. He said, David, the doors are open. I said, I'm looking at the steps. He said, what can you see? I said, I can see the steps, but there are no lights on. He said, there was a pause. And he said, David, the lights are blaring. <laughs> and it suddenly dawned on me, I was outside the wrong museum. So I ran off like a loony. And I eventually got to the Natural History Museum, sweating and having palpitations. I ran through just in time for Nick Robinson, the BBC political journalist, to announce that David Harper was your auctioneer for the evening. I got onto the stage dripping and panting with 300 city bankers looking at me thinking, this guy is off his bullet. <laughs> I've got to, I'll, I'll have a bit of a preamble, but in my head, I just thought, just get on with it. The first thing was Nick Robinson himself. It was dinner with Nick Robinson. So I grabbed Nick Robinson, got him on the stage and to buy myself some time to calm myself down. I removed his jacket and told the ladies to look at his mouth manly physique and got him walking <laughs> around the stage. How much would they give to take Nick Robinson out for dinner? I sold Nick for £17,000. The next lot was Boris Becker, an afternoon with Boris Becker. And behind me came this big picture of Boris Becker. He's somewhere in the crowd. I couldn't see him, but there's a picture behind me. And I thought, my God, Boris, you he's, he's in his 50s, this guy. He was looking absolutely fantastic until I noticed in the bottom right-hand corner, the picture was dated 1988. 
<laughs> Boris Becker looks more like Boris Johnson. <laughs> so, I said, so anyway, I've got take him out, go for lunch, play tennis, do whatever you like. Forty thousand pounds I got for him. And then the final lot was Sir Alex Ferguson, who was sat right in front of me, five feet down and about 10 feet away. And as I announced the third and final lot, one of the organisers ran up to the stage and stopped the proceedings and said to me, do not engage with Alex Ferguson. Don't get him on the stage. Don't remove his clothes. <laughs> Do not even look in his direction. Doesn't like getting involved with these kinds of things. So this like threw me because I was ready to get him on the stage. So we started the bidding. Who's going to take him out for dinner? We started at 50,000 quid. I was about to sell him at 90,000. The world record for Alex Ferguson up to this point was 100,000 because he does give himself away for charity dues occasionally. And then suddenly... I get a bid, 95, 100, 110, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 170,000 pounds I sold Sir Alex Ferguson for. But there was no one in the room more excited than me. So I broke all protocol. I looked at Sir Alex Ferguson and I literally leapt off the stage in his direction. <laughs> Mid-air, I started regretting the <laughs> And I landed right in front of Sir Alex Ferguson, who looked at me as if I was some mad chainsaw murderer. And I shook his hand and I said, oh, thank you very much, Sir Alex. And that was absolutely magnificent. And I thought, my God, David, get out of here. And he, I must say, not only did he look very unhappy, he was very miserable. <laughs> he was so miserable it was unbelievable and i found the guy that had just paid a hundred seventy thousand pounds for him i got hold of him shook his hand congratulated him and got the shock of my life because he was even more miserable than sir alex ferguson <laughs> 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 Which voice made me feel an awful lot better about my life. It really did. <laughs> yes, and the fact, and the fact, you'd gone to the wrong place. <laughs> I also like the fact that that is a brilliant story. And on top of all of your other accolades, there are, you're being interviewed by two auctioneers, and we've just established you're a better auctioneer than both of us as well. That is just yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. We've just we've just done three days on the trot, and I'm like, oh, oh no, hang on a minute, this is really bad news. <laughs> who Pop has knocked us off the spot already? <laughs> who who taught you to auctioneer, David? Is that something you uh, you just taught yourself? You've done before? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it, auctioneering, as you know, is a performance. You know, you you're effectively actors, aren't you? You have to entertain yep. the audience, and I love being in front of an audience. I can't before I go in front of the audience. I've got to tell you, I feel physically ill and I would do anything not to go in front of the audience I've even considered smashing my arm against a corner to break my arm or jumping down some stairs so I don't have to go on stage but the moment I go on stage I feel great it's a bizarre feeling isn't it I I, I feel that way until I pick the gavel up so I'm I'm, ner I'm I'm nervous Simon will attest to this he's a calmer individual than I am but I'm nervous until I pick the gavel up and then Simon says the mics are on and then something clicks I don't know what it is and then off I go. And I couldn't tell you what it is that gets me going and what makes me do what Simon and I do. But it's at that moment, I pick the gavel up and I go, oh, I'm at home now. I'm done. This is my thing. It's called money, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I must remember that. Yeah, it's called mortgage. Yeah. I've got I've, I've got to ask you, David. Yeah. Tiffany Twisted. That's my daughter. Is there a band? There is a band. So Hetty, my daughter, Henrietta Harper. Create yeah. a band. She's a funny character, that one, because she was classically trained. She went to uh, local, to school and she was in the uh, choir and she was head girl in the choir. So she's a classically trained musician. Now you look at her, she's like a heavy rock, punk rocker. I don't know what her rhymes is. A bit gothic actually. She's a singer-songwriter, lives in Soho, you know, born and bred in the countryside. You couldn't get any further away from her background. So, yeah, she creates really wild music. She writes and performs and also writes for other musicians as well. Fantastic. So the apple doesn't fall far from the creative tree, as it were. Be creative, absolutely. Yeah, she is. But as we know from the creative industries, it's very hard to make a living out of it. She is, luckily, but it's very difficult. You know, people assume that, you're in the, the music business, you're writing, you're a singer, a songwriter, you're making a load of money. It's not necessarily true. No, it's the, the vast majority are struggling. Yeah, yeah. Creatives, the money in the creative industry is not right. That's why I do so many things, Harry. <laughs> I was just going to say, your diversification across the piece, David, is, to say the least, impressive, I have to gonna- say. We got to like and subscribe and up this YouTube channel. We got to get from five to five thousand to a hundred thousand. We're going to make you the next KSI or whatever it's Logan Paul <laughs> or whatever they are. You'll soon be in a boxing ring near. Oh no, that's not. No, <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Well, what would the fee be? I mean, talk to me about fees. I mean, I'll be up for it. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we could do some YouTube videos together, chaps, sometime. That sounds fantastic. We're all in. Yeah, we're absolutely. all in. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Getting it right. I'm up for an episode of that. Oh, this could, you might have to change the name of that. No, come on, Simon. The fun is getting it wrong. It's all, in fact, I was going to call it getting it wrong because I think it's hilarious to get it wrong. I think it's brilliant. Luckily, as you may have noticed, if you watch me on TV, I don't care when I get it wrong because anyone who gets, gets precious in this business about being the top expert and getting it right all the time live a blinking, miserable life. You can't know you everything, can't. David. It's not possible. You need a thousand lifetimes to know it all. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us, David, I've got a question for you. What's the holy grail? What's the, you know, uh, as a as an antique, uh, as somebody who buys and sells, what would be, and I'm guessing it's going to be a car, but you might prove me wrong. I think it would be a car. I think I would love to uh, hear from somebody who maybe bought uh, a 300 SL Mercedes in 1959, you know, the Gullwings, something like that. It's one family owner from new. And they say to me, come out to Florida, make a YouTube video. Let's talk cars. Let's go for a drive. And I used to live in Florida, so I do love Florida. So there's any excuse to get into Miami in a Gullwing Classic Mercedes. David, sell it for 1.4 million quid. I'll give you 20% and 10 days in Florida. That would be great. And would you make a YouTube video? That would be the breakthrough video, Caps. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I tell you what, I have no doubt that that breakthrough video will come because with your enthusiasm and your drive and ambition, 
I don't think anything can stop you, quite frankly. Um, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think anything can stop him. I'm terrified and loving it all at the same time. David, I think we've got to wrap it up now. I'm really sorry. It's just gone far too quickly. But I have to say, you've been a fantastic guest. Really appreciate it. And I think you've been, for, for a lot of our listeners um, who want to get into the antiques business or want to be in doing something artistic, doing something interesting. We often talk about the fact that Harry and I had corporate careers they totally disagreed with us and and we got into something um all right let's not get that hard we don't we try not to hard on about that trust me you and i are not made for the corporate world harry and i would suggest uh not david either um and but when you find something that you're passionate about and when we get people on the pod who uh speak about the, what making a business making money out of something that you're passionate about, something that you love, that is a life well lived. And that comes across in spades from yourself. And so it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you, David. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, David. Thank you, Simon and Harry. It's been a real pleasure. Great to meet you. Really has been. Well, you never know. Maybe we can do this again one day. I hope so. How good was that, Simon? How interesting is he? What an inspiration David Harper is. Dave, as I call him now, because I feel like he's our mate. Um, absolutely brilliant. I mean, crikey, that guy, he's got some energy, hasn't he? I mean, uh, talk about creativity all over the show. Published writer, artist, sculpture, skip the cooking. Uh, auctioneer, that was annoying. That was annoying at the end. Just threw in there how, you know... Worldwide World record for yeah. selling Alex Ferguson. Have you been trained to be an auctioneer? No, I just jump up there and do it. This is our career, David. Great, he's a talented, talented man. But being serious for a second, I think his enthusiasm, his charisma, his passion for everything that he does, and his passion for throwing himself into every project. Absolutely inspiring. Amazing. Brilliant. He was passionate, wasn't he? And it's interesting that he wanted to give advice. Yeah. I think when we listen back to the conversation, because it was very absorbing. I found the whole thing quite fascinating. But he was very keen to say, look, if somebody's listening to this who was told at 12, don't paint or yeah. you're useless or you know what I mean? I, I, I know you didn't use those words. It was really fascinating. But um, yeah, a bash with the British Empire. We've promised him we're going to promote all this stuff. The promotion will be as long as the pod. Uh, <laughs> a bash with the British Empire is his latest book that's out. Um, you can still get a hold of a copy of The Romp with the Georgians, Waterstones, Amazon, places like that. His art is online. I think if you go to his website. If you go to his all website. The links, all the links will oh, be in, uh, and, the intro, in the bio. And the YouTube channel, Getting It Right. Absolutely worth a watch. If you want to get into this industry, uh, if you want to see how someone like David uses all of his creative skills, you know, we talked about so much in that pod. And and actually, you know, a big thing that he does is antiques, buying and selling and trading. But we got off onto so many different tangents because he's such an interesting guy and does so many different things. I think he's a, a, a I've come away quite inspired. I can't wait to see you on the um, YouTube uh, Getting It Right Antiques Game Show. Yeah, watch that get cancelled. Sorry, I was, very, I was very quick to volunteer us for that. Yeah, you weren't, you just. I literally, yeah. I'll go to the opening of an envelope, as you know. Can't <laughs> wait. Cannot wait. No, um, great. Now, listen, what have we got to remember to do? We have got to remember to ask our listener to like, subscribe, give us a review, spread the word. 
and post about our pod. We're uh, ever growing, but we always need more listeners. More people from Bulgaria to London, apparently. Apparently. Send us a postcard. Stop chewing your pen. Oh, no, that's what David said to me. You're in so much trouble about the pen. I know. Um, Mate, I'll see you soon. Do you know what? Thank you to David Harper. What a star. Um, I generally think we'd love to have him back on the pod. Uh, sometime in the future because I've no doubt six months goes past and he'll have a whole new raft of projects to tell us about which is magnificent thanks David thanks Harry bye